Welcome. Glad you guys are here. My name is Brian, one of the pastors here, and uh, we're going to get into the scripture in just a minute. Before we do, um, I want to just invite you guys to do something, a practice um, that we do periodically um, together as a church. It's just pausing to reflect upon God's goodness. Um, how many of you guys have obviously been aware of another anxiety-producing packed week this past week, right? A lot of, a lot of crazy stuff happening. Um, if you're like me, it's oftentimes easy to imbibe those things and they become kind of a part of the anxious fabric of your life. And, you know, one of the things I've just been consistently realizing as a follower of Jesus that we, we are called to live our lives differently in a world, um, a way, a phrase that was used in a book that I recently read, that we're to be a non-anxious presence in an anxious world. I like that idea because that's what a Christian is. It's, a, it's someone that's not necessarily immune to the anxieties, but we filter them differently. And one of the ways in which we do that is we create or craft our lives around the rhythms of, of God. And one of those rhythms that God kind of baked into creation is what we call the Sabbath. Um, some of us do that well. Some of us don't do that so well in terms of taking a, you know, a segment of time and pausing and reflecting and just focusing upon God. Um, kind of the idea of coming together as a church, at least historically, has been to have time to come together in Sabbath. For some of us, it's a work day. <clears throat> um, um, others of us, so this today is not my Sabbath, by the way, but I can still like act like it is. Um, but for most of us, it's like it's a time to come together and just really focus upon who God is and what, what God is inviting us into. Obviously, this past week, um, a, a local officer was, was gunned down. Um, I've lived here almost three decades, and this is a, a rare occasion. It doesn't happen very often. We live in a very safe, insulated culture and society here on the Central Coast. But when this type of circumstance does, it, it is it's very traumatizing and it's powerful. It's uh, hard-hitting. Um, Obviously, in the Middle East, that has become a flare-up again in, in bigger ways like it has not been in at least maybe a decade. And again, uh, it's not a matter of like where you stand with regard to anything politically, but the big idea is, is that these types of things create anxiety. We turn on the news, we watch our social media feeds, we kind of listen to the arguments going on between people at work and so on and so forth, and it just creates anxiety. And what I want to invite us as a community into is to just pause to consider God's presence in this moment. A scholar and a theologian defined Sabbath this way. He said, in terms of describing it this way, it's a decisive, concrete, visible way of opting out for aligning with the God of rest. For aligning with the God of rest. That's what Sabbath is. It's realigning our lives that oftentimes drift into disalignment, right? How many of you guys, don't raise your hand, feel out of alignment in your life right now? At least maybe not in alignment with God. Well, what Sabbath is, it's a way of us getting back and, and self-correcting. Um, not necessarily that we're pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps, but we're utilizing the strength and the power that, that God gives to us to realign ourselves with the one that orders the entire cosmos. Now, it sounds kind of big and lofty, but that's exactly what this moment is. It's a time to realign ourselves. And so 
What I want to do is I want to realign our hearts this morning by way of just reading Psalm, a little segment from Psalm 51. So if you would like, why don't you, you can just bow your heads, you can close your eyes, you can keep your eyes open, it doesn't matter. Like, just do what you have to do to focus upon the reading of this text, and then we'll get into the teaching here this morning. And I'll pray just before we jump into that. But listen to the psalmist. He says this, create in me a pure heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence. Or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. And grant me a willing spirit. And sustain me. In this moment right now, as we become aware of God's holiness, and maybe you're becoming conscious of your own brokenness, let's just, in this moment, pause to confess our sin, confess our fragileness, our brokenness, our weaknesses. And let's look to the one who loves us and who makes all things new. And I'll pray. God, right now we turn our eyes to you. We turn our eyes on Jesus. God, we see you stepping into this world and being fully familiar with the very anxieties that we face. You're not immune to those things. You're not unaware of those things. And God, if anything, that gives us a sense of hope. We're not alone in this world. We're not alone in our brokenness. We're not alone in those anxiety-producing headlines that we read. We're not alone in those contentious discussions that we find ourselves in the midst of. But you're a God that's near and present and is here. And so right now, God, we turn to you, the author, the finisher, the perfecter of our faith and of the faithful. You're a good God. We look to you. We thank you that you forgive and wash and cleanse and restore and renew and realign. So do that now. God, realign our hearts with yours. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Stay standing one last stretch of time. Why don't you guys open your Bibles to the book of First Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2. If you guys don't have Bibles, why don't you go ahead and raise your hands. Ushers would love to get you a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, we always say this. It's our gift to you. Feel free to keep it or give it away. Give it away to someone better yet. Give it away. First Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 5 says this. As you come to him, a living stone who was rejected by men, but in the sight of God, he was chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And this is the word of the Lord. Why don't you all grab a seat? So we've been in this series on Sunday mornings looking at this uh, rich letter called Peter, 1 Peter. He's writing to a community of uh, people that were seeking to be faithful to Jesus. They were all throughout what's called the dispersion. They were... They were in all sorts of different places of the ancient Roman world. 
And uh, they were trying to live faithfully to the way of Jesus. But what they found is in order to do that, it put them at odds with the broader culture. Um, So they were faced with this crisis of either be faithful to the culture and unfaithful to God or faithful to God and contentious with the culture or a thorn in the flesh or a thorn in the side of the culture. And in a lot of ways, it's the same type of situation that we find ourselves in today. It's like we have a crisis to kind of decide who will we be faithful to. I mean, if you choose culture, you choose culture. The fact is, is you'll find yourself in some sort of crowd for the time being that will offer you accolades or praise or honor or commend you. But the thing is, with culture, it changes. It changes constantly, regularly, consistently. It's one thing that's certain. Uh, about cultures. It's malleable. (laughs) It turns, it shifts, it changes, it moves, it ebbs, it flows. That's culture. And so what's cool today, what's in today, what's popular today, tomorrow, you're going to have to adjust your values to fit in um, and stay up on all the current trends. Um, And be honest with you, I'm just being really straight up honest with you. That's exhausting. Is that not exhausting? There's a more ancient, more settled way in which we can choose to live our lives, and it's being anchored into the ways of God, to love God, to serve God, the one who loves us, the one who's unchanging, one who does not morph or mutate. He's the God that loves us and calls us, invites us. Now, again, like I said, in order to do that or to do that well, you will find yourself consistently at odds at this within this culture. It's it just, you just have to own that and be okay with that. Be okay with that. And, and know that even though uh, you might find yourself canceled or hated or despised, or even some context, probably not so much in America, but in other places of the world, say Iran, which is, by the way, the fastest growing church in the world. I don't know if you knew that or not. North Korea, shockingly, one of the fastest growing segments of the church in the world today. Latin America, one of the fastest growing segments of the church today. Africa, Fastest growing churches in the world today. The future, by the way, is not American-style Christianity. Shouldn't come as a big shock. But the fact is, is that in other parts of the world, to be faithful to God means that you may find yourself at odds with the culture and be ultimately shoved off, canceled, annihilated. But the fact is, is you find yourself in this company of people whom God looks at and says, faithful. And God commends, God loves, God promises a future, uh, eternity of life. What I want to do right now is I want to just remind yourself, this is the community to whom Peter's writing, in which a lot of ways we are find ourselves in the exact same situation. And the, again, the same question is, will we be faithful to God um, or to the culture? And as we hopefully are as a community of people seeking to be faithful to God— one of the things we have to realize is that there is a culture that we described several weeks ago as we began to look at this. There's a corporate culture, a community culture, a family culture that begins to define the community of God's people. And we just described that in at least six different ways. Today, we're going to look at the sixth one. So I'll just go over these real quick. If you've not been around here for the past couple of weeks, you can just go online or check out the podcast that we have available. We have all the messages that are right there. I'll just go through them very fast. Number one, first way or first defining trait of the corporate culture of God's people is hope. They are a community of people that hope in God. 
Not always, not perfectly, not consistently, but hope is what generally defines. Secondly, there are community people that are defined by holiness. They're devoted, separated to God. Thirdly, they honor God or fear the Lord. Fourthly, they have love for one another. Fifthly, we looked at this last week, they have a degree of spiritual health as opposed to just consistent brokenness. Then sixthly, what we're going to look at today is this idea of a sixth H, actually, you're welcome, um, to alliterate this whole thing, a household. This is how Peter defines or describes this community of people. They are actually a household. So what I want to do today is I want to just look at basically three things, and I'm going to end with some real just specific ways to kind of begin to implement, some illustrations or ways to... uh, begin to move into very tangible ways to do this. So one, I want to look at what is the household that he defines. Secondly, how does one gain access into this? And then thirdly, what does his family do or or how does it live is another way to look at it. Those three things we'll look at. Number one, let's just jump in. What is it? What is it? So first of all, the way that Peter describes this community is not a corporation, even though I use the word corporate, just think of corporate as being corporeal or like a body. It has, an, it has a body. It's a biblical analogy. It's not a corporation. It's not an institution. It's not a club. It's not even a 501c3. It, it's, a, it's a household. This is how Peter describes it. It's, it's like a family that comes together under a household. And what he's no doubt using is language or terminology. And again, if you follow the New Testament writers, you, you know that Paul and Peter and other New Testament writers, they have a plethora of uh, terminology or metaphors that they oftentimes use to describe. There's times like, for example, Paul's going to use the analogy of like a, a body, a body. Uh, so he describes the family of God as like a body or an actual physical body with different body parts. Now Peter uses an analogy to describe it as a, as a house or a household. Now again, I think Peter's actually kind of within the history of the Bible using an analogy that would have been familiar to many Jewish people or people that were familiar with the Bible. So, for example, the word household actually has its deep origins and its roots within the Old Testament as well. For example, God describes his presence is going to come dwell amongst his people in in what? Does anybody want to take a guess? Where did God make his presence known in ancient Israel? Anybody? You got to speak really loud because you're competing with cars. I can't hear you. Say it loud. Tabernacle. Good. Exactly. That's the answer I was looking for. Good job. Tabernacle or temple, right? Tabernacle or temple. Same idea. But the big idea is that God came and dwelt. So if you wanted to go spend some time with God, where would you go? You'd go to the tabernacle or the temple. This is where you would go. This is where God's presence would reside. In fact, even within that tabernacle or temple, there was a sacred place, the sacred of sacred place, or the holy of holies, the hot spot, if you would, of where God's presence really was. In fact, not everyone was like allowed to just go in there because human beings, we have this um, consistent practice of, of sin and violating and rebelling against God. And so God made ways whereby people can interact with him and it came through this process of sacrifice and so on and so forth. But the point of the matter is, is that God's presence resided within the temple, within his people, and that was kind of the sacred hotspot. Now, what Jesus does is that when he comes, he essentially says, my presence is going to go public. Everybody who trusts in me, follows me, will become part of this household of God. And this is exactly the language that Peter uses. Uh, Again, check it out. As you come to him as living stones who are rejected by men, but in the sight of God have chosen precious, he says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house. Spiritual house. 
This idea of a house or a household is the language of the Old Testament. In fact, Jesus, for example, you remember when he drove out the money changers, you guys are all familiar with that, that, that narrative. And what does he say? He says, um, you have taken, you perverted my house. It was supposed to be a household of prayer for all the nations, for all people, all ethnicities to come into this place, to interact and to encounter God. But you've turned it into a, a den of thieves. So this idea is important for us to understand. So God comes and dwells and lives within his, his people. You form a household. I want you to right now to look around you. Look, look around. Look around this parking lot. Look all around. Look at the people next to you. Look at across the parking lot, people you don't even know. In each of you, this is the dwelling of God. By the way, that should be a little bit scandalous to you. Because some of you are like, wait, what? God dwells with that person? That's the big idea. That God has gone public. His presence has gone forth into all the world. And people that, according to your mindset, or maybe political leanings, don't deserve God's grace, have been shown God's grace. That's the big scandal right there. But it's a beautiful scandal because it's exactly how God works. He shows grace to people that he doesn't, first of all, check with you to see if it's okay. And this is really amazing because what God does in bringing his presence into these places, his presence is healing. Where his presence goes, it brings healing, it brings wholeness, it brings shalom in exchange for the chaos of our lives. It brings the sense of his peace in those places where there's just, for the most part, nothing defined other than defined by despair. This is what God's presence does. So, first of all, we realize that what he's describing is it's a household. Secondly, I want to take a look at how does one gain access? This is important. Like, who's welcomed in? Who's allowed? Who's disallowed? Who's barred? And so on and so forth. These are important questions because really with any club or any community or any group or any political unit or you know, whatever, there's a sense of like access. Who gets access into this little club or this community? It's an important question to ask. In fact, it shouldn't be one that you have to, you know, be apologetic for. Um, every community has some form of like access point. Um, it could be a secret handshake. It could, you know what I'm saying? Like here, here fraternity. But the point of the matter is, is like we have access points into these. The question is, how does one gain access into the household, the family of God? Listen to what Peter describes. Go back to the text and take a look at what he says. He goes on to say, listen, he says, As you come to him, a living stone who is rejected by men, but in the sight of God you are cho- he was chosen and precious. So number one, we begin to see the way that you gain access. He says, as you come to him. Access is through Jesus. It's, it's, it, in this context, it is not what you know, it's who you know. It's Jesus. He's the one that gives us life. This is exactly what he's saying. You came to him who is a living stone. Now, this is interesting how Peter describes this. You came to him who, according to the world, the way he describes this, again, listen to the language that he uses. You come to him, he's a living stone. Jesus is the living stone, which, by the way, that's an odd phrase, living stone. What is a living stone? By the way, I don't know if you know this or not. Uh, I, don't, I don't have a biological degree. No shock. I, I learned that stones are not alive. Wait, what? 
No, I'm just, I'm joking, of course. But the fact is, is that's an odd phrase, living stone. Some have suggested it's like stone that's moving, it has momentum and movement. But the point of the matter is, this is an odd phrase, and it's one that's used to describe Jesus. He's a living stone, part of this larger unit. But what he describes is that this living stone, he's probably going to tie this into the next phrase, which we're not going to look at today, but he describes Jesus being the cornerstone that's rejected. But listen to what he says. It's a living stone who was rejected by men, the, the word that's used there to, re, to be rejected means that human beings, they looked at, scrutinized, observed, analyzed, and then assessed, and then rejected Jesus. When you think about what type of processes go on for you to either accept or reject something, there's an analysis that happens as you analyze and think and ask questions and you wonder and you ponder and consider. And what he's saying is that human beings that were alive during the time of Jesus, and as well even today, there is an assessing going on. At some point, then, there's a determination, and in some cases, an outright rejection. But here's what he says. He was rejected by men, but in the sight of God, he was chosen and precious. God looks at Jesus. He says, this, this is what humanity is to look like. This is what a perfect man is. This is the man, Jesus, my son, who I fully accept and consider the right path. And this is what Peter's saying, is that this is how we gain access. It's through Jesus. This is what, from the time of the Reformation, there was one of the solas, if you're familiar with the five solas, one that was called sola gratia. By grace alone, by grace alone, we are by grace, by God's grace alone, are we accepted into this household. Uh, later, Peter would actually, actually, earlier on in First Peter chapter 1, verse 21, he says, Through him, through Jesus, you are believers in God, having purified your souls by the obedience of the truth, since you have been born again. God has done something on your behalf. You have been chosen, accepted, because of a work that God had done for you. Brothers and sisters, you don't come into this family by way of your choice, by way of you somehow shoving your way in, by somehow through your merit. It's not your merit that gains access. It's the merit of Jesus. And the father looking at the son saying, ah, oh, accept my son. And if you're in the son, if you know the son, if you know Jesus, then you are part of this family. It's, it's an amazing reality. It's what Peter wants us to know. And then lastly, I want to finish with this question of like, what does this family do? And then I want to finish with some just two very specific points and I'm done. So I want to give kind of like an individual example and then a corporate example in terms of like what the family does. In fact, I'm just going to be utilizing the, the language that Peter uses. So number one, the individual. This is how he says, uh, on an individual level, what does the family do is we, it offers up oneself to obey God. It offers up oneself to obey God. Listen to how he describes this. He says that, I'll read it right here, once I find it, he says, as you come to him, a living stone who is rejected by men in the sight of God have been chosen precious. You yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices through God to Jesus Christ. So on the one hand, there's an individual element. You're living stones, part of this larger construction of a building, which he describes is going to be using the metaphor of a temple. So when you think of the construction of a brick and mortar building, right? If you look at this building right here, you see, I don't know, thousands and thousands of stones that make up this one big hole. That's the analogy of what he's describing. 
Like you are a stone, an individual. You have merit, you have importance, you have significance, but you're part of a larger whole that makes up this larger whole. So on the one hand, there's this individual response that we have. Now, again, it's really important to understand by doing these things, we don't gain access because we have access. We do these things. In other words, we operate and live and act in a way that's consistent with the family values that we've inherited by grace, by this God who loves us. So listen to what he wants us to understand is that you offer these spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God. Uh, it's very similar to what Paul's going to say later in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God. This is your reasonable service or your reasonable worship. That's the big idea that he's describing. Is that there is an individual response that we have. And this is where I want to get very specific. One of the chief ways, one of the best ways, one of the most, um, and I would even say the most tangible ways physically tangible ways of offering ourselves, our bodies, as living sacrifices is through the practice of baptism, which is exactly what we're going to be doing next week, baptism. It's literally saying, in my physical body, I will actually put on a bathing suit or a wetsuit or whatever, something suitable, and I will get into the water physically. You cannot get baptized virtually, by the way. Somehow you can get blood virtually. I have no idea how that's even possible. You can talk with Kyle about that. You can listen online to a service virtually. You can even kind of have prayer virtually. We, we learned that. We even did a prayer service of healing for someone virtually. We anointed them with oil, even though we didn't really touch them. But it was just like, it was, it, was, I, it was weird. I don't even know how to describe it. COVID was weird, all right? You guys all agree with that? There's a lot that might, you, you might not agree with me today, but I'm sure you all agree. COVID was a weird season. You cannot virtually be baptized. It is an act of a human being saying, I want to offer my body physically, wholly, completely to God and go into the water and be baptized. So the question that might be asked, why would one want to be baptized? Why should one be baptized? Because ultimately what I think Peter's saying is that those who have been brought in this family, we have this love that defines us. We love God. We're not in this relationship with God out of duty. We're not in it by way of feeling like we deserve it. There is not a sense of entitlement that defines us. We, it's nothing but love. We feel a deep sense of love and commitment to God. And what Jesus is going to say is that those who love me will obey me. So in other words, the act of being baptized, which by the way, in ancient historical Christian circles, baptism was always this idea of, of, an, of an initiation. You get baptized because it's a way of visibly, physically showing forth your realignment from being a part of this community of Adam in planet Earth to saying, now I'm part of this community, this family that's been defined by Jesus. And to demonstrate that, you would actually go through the waters of baptism and they would oftentimes have different classes and catechisms in order to get you all prepped and ready to think about that and step into that, which is fine and all that. But the point that I would make is this, is that there was definitely something that was done on our behalf to demonstrate that we are aligning our lives with the ways of God. So number one, I would say, because those who love God, ultimately, they will set forth an act of obedience. You can't, again, obey virtually. Obey obedience comes through taking our bodies and saying, I will use my body in a way that will honor the one who loves me and gave himself to me.
Secondly, it becomes this public participation and identification with the one who loves me and gave himself for me. It's a way of basically saying boldly, loudly, clearly, I belong to this household. Now, again, this household is kind of funky. And I realize in today's world and our culture today, it's really easy to just look at the church and be like, the church is filled with a bunch of hypocrites. And I think there is, by way of that, there's a tendency to look at the church in general. And rather than having a mindset of saying, those are my people, we have more of a tendency to be like, I don't identify with them. They're all weird. They're funky. They're weird. And we back away. We have a deep sense of shame, shame from them stem back and this is the exact opposite of the heart of jesus I, again i get it i've worked with the church for almost 30 years of my life i get it there's a lot to be embarrassed of within the context of christians i get it but that's not the sentiment of jesus the sentiment of jesus is he sees you as living stones in a larger temple that he says i love quirks and all pathologies and all anxieties and all sinfulness and all, I love you. And this is what we see, that baptism. So I'd encourage you to think about this. If Maybe you've never been baptized. What's keeping you from getting baptized? What would be the reasons that you would give? Again, don't answer me, but just think through them and perfectly consider them. And if you are a follower of Jesus, maybe this is God's way of just nudging you to use your body as an individual to say, I will worship God by way of going into the waters and being baptized. If you've never been baptized and you want more information about this, please, right now, if you'd like, just go to our website, calvaryslow.com. The information is right there. Sign up. There's information that there's readily available for you. There's a whole class that you can take online. There's messages online. There's things to read that will help give you more information. My encouragement to you would be to just urge you to consider reasons, logical, palatable reasons to understand why at least make a conscientious decision don't just go with the sense of fear or feeling like you don't know or there's a sense of ignorance uh educate yourself learn and then make a wise educated decision to step into that path of obedience lastly is how does the family of god live this kind of moves into more of the corporate sense where he goes on to say listen how he says this he says, as you come to him, a living stone who was rejected by men, but in the sight of God was chosen, you yourselves, the, the word you yourselves could be the plural, y'all, if you want to think of it this way. Y'all are like living stones being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. And this is where it begins to describe. You're not just individuals. Everything in our modern culture is all about pulling you away, isolating you from the community and saying, you have the power to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, to sculpt your own future, to make your own life for yourself. And there, to some degree, is truth to that. But as a follower of Jesus, you are not only an individual. You're part of a family. And what he's inviting us to do, I believe, is to see ourselves in light of how God sees you. As a part of the family, you belong somewhere. A stone separated by itself is not a building. You as an individual are not the telos of your life. You are intended to be part of something bigger than yourself. Maybe that's one of the reasons why we have, as a culture, this constant, chronic, pathological 
difficulty of feeling a sense of meaningfulness in our lives. It's maybe one of the reasons why we're consistently tethered to, and I mean tethered in the sense of like enslaved to social media, is because out there somewhere might be the means to find meaning and purpose. But maybe, maybe what God's inviting us to do is to see ourselves as a living stone in the context of a larger community. And this is where I think he's inviting us to consider that you yourselves are living stones being built up into the spiritual house. What I want to finish with is I want to finish with this example of just specifically speaking to you men. Again, we are having our next men's thing this particular Wednesday. Again, this will apply to everybody. Of course, there's, we are all in need of community and being plugged in and connected. But I want to speak specifically to you men because I have a deep concern that a lot of ways that men, we have a tendency to just isolate ourselves, to see ourselves as individuals, to buy into the American dream that we can do what we want on our own terms. And I, and I truly believe that narrative, that myth is destroying us as men. We're actually losing ourselves. And in losing ourselves, we're losing our families, our spouses. And I think there's a different way to see ourselves as men. And here's what I want to finish with this is thought. I've been talking for the past several months, actually, about, you know, why I think men need to be coming together. And number one is because men have a deep need for a clear vision for manhood. Number two, men need truth speaking and not coddling, but, but truth speaking and yet at the same time being accepted, knowing that they are accepted in spite of who they are in a community. And then thirdly, men need to have mentors that model the way of Jesus in their lives. We, we, we need these things. Um, and if we don't have these things, we are desperately looking for alternatives in other ways. What I want to finish with are three myths that I think that men oftentimes tell themselves as to why they don't come together. A lot of times men are prone towards isolation and pulling away. And there's three reasons why. Three myths, I believe, that men oftentimes tell themselves or believe that keep them in a place where they're isolated. So number one is men say, I'm too busy. I have too much that are going, that's going on in my life, too busy. Now, again, I realize a lot of us as men, we have a lot of responsibilities. And a lot of times culture puts that on us. A lot of times we put that upon ourselves. And at the end of the day, we feel exhausted and tired. And the last thing we want to do is go hang out with another bunch of people that we might not even know. But what I suggest to you is men, we as men will do what we value most. If it's valuable to you, you will make time for it. Is that not true? You agree with that? Am I lying? Am I making that up? Straight up true. Straight up true. Whatever it is that we value, we will figure out a way to, to create margin for that in our lives. Number two, we myth that we believe is we say, I don't fit in. I'm too young for that group. Everyone's old. I'm too old. Everyone's too young. I'm too white, too black, too Asian, too brown, too black, too whatever, too rich, too young, too famous, too powerful, too what? I mean, we fill in the blank. And I think at the end of the day, we oftentimes are setting up barriers that Jesus is intending to tear down. We belittle our value as living stones in the larger context of this community, that Jesus says, no, you have value. You matter. 
You're not less than. You're not greater than. Don't think of yourself more highly than what you really are. Don't think of yourself less than what you really are. Think of yourself and how I see you as a living stone, part of a larger community that I'm building. I'm doing this. And then lastly is we have another myth that we tell ourselves that we say, I won't be accepted. And this is kind of defined by guilt and shame. We look at ourselves and we think I'm a really bad person or I don't fit in or I think differently. I'm a creative person and nobody else is creative or whatever. And we have these ways of pigeonholing ourselves. And then what we end up doing is we tell ourselves this this myth, this story over and over and over again. And here's what I would suggest to you is why cling to an identity that Jesus has actually scrubbed you clean from? Come out from your isolation. Come out from hiding. And be a part of the community that God's building. Again, on a very practical level, especially men. We meet every other Wednesday. And I want to personally invite you. I'll be there to come together. And it's been amazing to see what God's doing. So I want to just extend it to you. So men, think about joining us this Wednesday Or if you are part of this church in a larger way and you're just looking for a way to get involved, there's all sorts of means and ways to plug in throughout our church, community groups, small groups, women's groups, to be able to plug in. But think about where you fit in as a living stone, part of this larger community that God is building. And with that, I'm actually done. So I want to invite you now to all stand. Mike's going to come up and lead us in one final song. And we will partake of communion together. And if you are new here or if you're at home, feel free to go ahead and grab some, uh, some bread or something to drink that we will partake together. And if you are in the audience, go ahead and feel free to receive the bread in the cup from the ushers that will be handing them out. I'm going to pray right now. We will sing, and then as soon as the song's done, we will partake of communion together. Jesus, thank you for your great love. We thank you, God, that you have begun to work in this community. You're inviting us to realign our lives with you, which involves a process for us to repent, to turn, to turn from myths and narratives and stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves or about others that are not consistent with truth. And God, we thank you that we can do that without feeling shame or guilt or burden that crushes us because Jesus you have come to take our guilt our shame upon yourselves and bring us into a family into a community that's full of life we come to you Lord to receive life we come to you to receive good news we thank you for the kingdom that you're building right now we collectively as a community we say yes Lord come flood our hearts with your presence